Hi, and welcome to another episode of No Limits with Christoph and Luke, your friendly chaps who are digging into all things poker, AI, technology, and just general nonsense. How's this week treating you, Christoph? Luke, every time I see you alive, it's always a thrill. As I'm learning your ways, I know that they are not the uh, safest or most uh, conservative of, of ways. Well, but so... by, uh, by day and by night, we were on our subscriber call <laughs> yesterday. You might still hear the, the, the lowered octave voice of a, like a two-day-long hangover. So Christoph, while I was presenting on our subscriber call yesterday, he messaged me and said, Dude, are you okay? Do you want to push the podcast recording? You're very kind. <laughs> yeah, it's either yeah you're gonna be you know be lying dead in some gutter or you ran into some tree. God, you know, God only knows. But the irony, Luke, is that yesterday on my way back from teaching, uh, minding my own business, I fell off my bike. Oh, nice. what happened? Maybe first I, I mean I don't even know. I really don't know what happened. Like I was I was riding and then all of a sudden a bump or something and then before you know it, like I've got yeah. I've got a pretty nasty nasty fall but so you know pot calling the kettle black right there's definitely no alcohol involved in your spill uh <laughs> no usually i do fill i do fill my uh coffee canister when i teach with whiskey but not not <laughs> yesterday <laughs> sorry to that i'm glad you're in one piece we've got you know that enormous hat that you always wear probably acts as at least as some form of head protection there's a lot of important <laughs> information in that head right you don't want to crack it open <laughs> All this knowledge, like leaking onto the pavement. <laughs> yeah, we don't want we don't want that. So let me tell you about something that that's kind of exciting in my own uh, life. Just happened last night. Starting last year, I decided to do the intermittent fasting thing. So I where I only ate one meal a day with about uh, twenty. I, I'd say I have about a twenty-one to twenty-two hour fasting window every day. And I'd say I kept to that all year. Like maybe I had ten lunches give or take, like not many. And I also t started taking some supplements for the first time in my life. Like I did the research, the longevity research stuff, and I kind of chose the, the most uh, important ones. Uh, on top of, you know, adding cold showers and uh, exercising pretty much every day, blah, blah, blah. So I got my blood drawn. I had my baseline last year, and then this was the first draw basically a year later. So I was a little worried because I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> like, did I do all this shit for nothing? You know, I was really, you know, wondering, like, what the results would show. But lo and behold, one of the main measures is something called inner age, where it compares your biological chronicle age to what we now know is more important, what's happening on the inside as more or less measured by the damage to your epigenome or to DNA to keep it simple, right, to your DNA, and it's measurable. And so you are looking, this, see this uh, almost 44-year-old face before you? On the inside, it's actually a 35-year-old. Very nice. <laughs> so I, I reverse-aged two years, 1.9 to be exact. Very good. I went from 37 point whatever to 35. You're Benjamin Bussack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So keep going. I'll be a, you know, 21 year old spanking babe in, in no time. Is your, but uh, is your wife ready you, for this? <laughs> she, yeah, she, yeah. She kind of gave me uh, some raised eyebrows and, uh, but you know, other than us thinking, you know, like, should I talk about this or not? But you know, why do we invest? What's money for anyway? And 
I like getting like real metaphysical and philosophical about this kind of stuff because it's so obvious and sometimes it's, you know, right in front of our face, but we don't notice it. Like if we're dead or unhealthy, what the po- what's the point of money? Right. I mean, and, and I guess the way our society is structured is that typically by the time we can retire or take advantage of our life savings, our health is now starting to plague us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. We can't do the crazy shit. We can't go or not without hindrance. And so I don't think this is a small thing, you know, like especially to our listeners that are maybe in there still in that youthful phase where you, you can't do any wrong. I guess from my current perspective now, if, um, if you're like in your mid-30s, I'm not sure that's too early to start kind of just doing some things that will uh, keep you around healthier longer. I am, I'm totally with you on that. I started on that same sort of stuff a couple of years ago um, because I had a view that um, you know you need like a couple of things to have like a happy retirement, right? You need the the, the money and the capability to be able to do the things you want to do. You need like a purpose in life. Actually, like seven investing has become a very core part of my own purpose. Um, but you, know, you need your health as well. So if you can de-age yourself through various mechanisms and techniques, then fantastic. I, uh, this is probably going to go a little bit off-piste. I don't know if I get clamped down on by someone for saying this. So um, have you have you heard of the benefit of metformin, the, um, the anti-diabetes medication. No, cholesterol. Yeah, that's cholesterol. The, Sorry, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's one of the four main ones that I take. Okay, right. Of course. Uh, so, uh, mm. so how are you procuring your metformin? Because you can't buy it over the counter in the UK. Yeah, it was actually very easy. There's just a tiny loophole that's like this needs to be prescribed. But it's so common that it's one of those, you go down the internet, you put in your stuff, a doctor, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's a real doctor, but you know, it's not like a doctor's visit. They, they look at your form, they're like, okay, you're good to go. Very good. Just a hoop. Right. I, I bought mine on the dark web. <laughs> <laughs> and this, ladies and gentlemen, is why... <laughs> Why Luke is the star of the show, and I'm just, you know... Uh, <laughs> That's a fascinating rabbit hole. I, I, was, I was intrigued by the dark web anyway. I had some cryptocurrency. I'm like, screw it. Let's go see what I can buy. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of things I could have bought. I mean, this was definitely the, the low end of legality. Uh, but yeah. Uh, oh, so my I'm... God. That shit scares me. You know, I followed the story of the Silk Road, and it was on some podcast. I think it was the Tim Ferriss podcast where he he... It was this interview with the DA, I think, that caught that guy. Yeah, I caught that and one. And then he realized yeah. that when he was at the San Francisco library, he was probably next, like, he must have been working next to that guy. It's all insane. But anyway, you're braver than I am. I'm so <laughs> tempted to say, like, okay, like, so step one is why I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, like, I'm better <laughs> off <laughs> not knowing how you get your metformin. <laughs> well, that's, I, uh, so I bought that initial supply. I haven't been brave enough to go and sort of top it up, but that lasted me about a year. Um but so I've kind of, I kind of fallen off the wagon, as it were. I've forgotten to take my metformin, so I need to go and get another supply because it does seem that that has uh, life-extending properties potentially, with very well understood uh, other effects which aren't bad for you. Well, that huge paper was just published. I don't know if you follow David Sinclair is the the person that that kind of was my go-to source. But as a scientist, that paper that actually proved 
the mechanism of aging was, I believe, over a decade in progress. Like it was so complex and had so many different uh, points of authentication and go back to the drawing board, yada, yada. Uh, I think it was just published a couple of weeks ago, like officially in the top journal in, in the world. That's like, yeah, now we understand how aging works and this is not a, you know, sci-fi, sci-fi thing, uh, which might lead us to the, the next topic, but no, go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, so, um, like, it seems relatively, uh, sensible to me that like anyone being born today or in the last say 10 years, probably, you know, barring an accident, like falling off their bicycle because of the sidewalk probably could choose to live forever. Um, like we're going to hit the point where, um, you know, our ability to youthify people is, is accelerates faster than the point where we can kind of de-age someone consistently by more than one year per year. Eventually you can kind of hang on to your, you know, your mid twenties, like the golden age. Um, I figure like an old guy like me's probably missed that train. You know, maybe you're, if you've managed to get yourself down to like a 30 something, maybe you can just about catch the train before it departs the station. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. You know, we could be one of the last generations that dies of old age. That is fascinating. It really is a nice segue, I think, to our first first topic, this question of innovation. Here's the, I think, first level thing to say for me is innov the obvious thing. Innovation tends, seems like it usually gets ahead of itself. And these wild ideas that we hear about, we get all excited and then they take way longer to actually manifest, right? Yeah, but, we've got a, what's that saying? We've got uh, humans have a habit of like over anticipating what can be achieved in the next few years, but under anticipating what can be achieved in the next 20 years. Right. Yeah. That's so right. That's so true. But I think there's a second level level here that feels unprecedented to me. So for, for listeners who may be unfamiliar, uh, Kathy Woods is the head of an investment fund called ARK Invest, and they're quite public. I'm not, I'm sorry, not even quite. They're public. So they publish all their trades, all the info is available for anyone to see. And because they have this public persona, they also publish their research. And so I believe in late January, they just released their kind of big ideas paper for 2023. And it's like, what, 150 something PDF pages, kind of a, a monolith of a futuristic thinking. You and I, Luca, were planning to kind of break it up into sizable chunks over the course of some of these episodes, right? Because it's too much to do in one shot. Yeah, like there's a ton of topics. So we'll put a link to it. It's public, as you say. They release this deck every year. Um, it's always a really fascinating read. And like some of the topics align with our interest areas so hard. Yeah, let's go deep on it over the course of a few episodes. But I think in this year's big ideas, they've got something like probably 14 kind of core ideas they're going to explore. So maybe we'll pick out a couple each week. And actually, if you're on Twitter and you're interested in hearing about a particular one first, like give us a tweet, let us know where we should go. Right. And the paper starts off kind of acknowledging, or at least maybe this is me interpreting it, that AI as one of these innovative forces, they name five, is the one that will obviously have an impact on all the others. And what I was saying earlier was this this feeling I have of becoming a little more skeptical, maybe more doubt. I have more uncertainty now 
whether the innovation that's always futuristic but takes way longer than we think, whether that gap might actually start shrinking considerably given the way AI and neural networks work and how they kind of feed data into themselves to accelerate their own learning, which means once the sort of these things start powering the machines that make the other things go, these innovative ideas, like, for example, flying robo-taxis, right? I mean, that's that's technically a thing this paper mentions. So, you know, there's the eye roll, like, yeah, okay, fine. But I've never really thought this before. Like, I, it feels within the realm of the possible now that things will accelerate so quickly that even the craziest of ideas might be closer than we think. Yeah, I agree. And ultimately, it's all about money, right? So if, you know, it, it sounds like a kind of crazy idea that we've been talking about, you know, flying cars, flying flying taxis for some time. But when that does come, right, that's going to unlock just a shit ton of value for countries. So if nothing else, you've got that economic spur to kind of make that stuff happen. And it's weird talking about this because it, it, it seems like it's such a drastic, drastic shift potentially in, in how the world operates. Maybe I'll talk about one example that's not the the AI, which is um, maybe on the surface level before doing a deeper dive later, but this concept of digital wallets, right? In our day today, there are different kinds of assets, right? You have your car and you have your cash and you have, but they're not equivalent, right? And, and say swapping them is certainly a whole different ballgame. If you're selling your house versus your car versus the more typical exchange in a retail store, right? But what happens when, say, everything becomes tokenized? Like, in a sense, your car can begin to exist as a token on a blockchain and sort of tradable much more closely like a coin. So, I'm not, and I'm not even sure if I'm thinking about this the correct way, but, and maybe we don't even know how, how this will all evolve, but it seems to me that everything in society right now at this moment is up for grabs for a kind of reconfiguration. Maybe that's what I was going for. Right, right. I think that's an interesting one in their paper. Like if we, as I look at just like the, the headlines of these 14 different topics, you know, things like um, smart contracts, robotics and 3D printing, electric vehicles, molecular diagnostics, digital wallets kind of stands out for me in a funny way because actually we've, I think arguably we've got the technology now and maybe the barrier to adoption, like clearly this whole world has been set back quite materially in the last couple of months, really, with the cryptocurrency meltdown, Sang Bankman freed, all the kind of nonsense that's happened there. But, um, yeah, we've probably got this technology that the hurdles are going to be more societal and regulatory. And, you know, you could put your car on a blockchain tomorrow, probably, I'm sure, like 20 different startups have already done this and they've got the technology, but it's about getting people to adopt it and, and start using that technology kind of day to day. And there's, you know, a lot of legal complexity and probably a whole bunch of kind of Supreme Court cases that need to be heard before this stuff really sort of truly adopted. And that, you know, the register of cars on blockchain becomes the kind of official government record as opposed to some database held by the, DMV or whoever kind of manages vehicles. But if we look at a lot of the other technologies like flying taxis, precision therapies, molecular diagnostics, 
probably a lot of hard science that needs to be figured out before that stuff is ready for prime time, let's say. I'm trying to wrap my mind around, I think, the key piece from their paper is this sense of these things converging with each other. Right, the way everything kind of supports each other. Yeah, that is interesting. Right, exactly. That's the thing where, you know, you could be as imaginative as you want, but how AI is going to affect battery storage and battery storage affects uh, autonomous driving and how autonomous driving therefore needs blockchain to do its transactions and all of that, like starting to, I think that's the point of the paper, really, like converge and coalesce. And we know from complex theory, systems theory, that there's a very quick tipping point that happens where you can't predict the next thing that will happen once X number of variables show up. And so to be an investor in this day and age after reading this paper seems, one, absolutely thrilling. Like on that side of things, like, oh my God, we're going to, <laughs> you know, if we think we've built some amazing companies up to now, like just, just you know, hold on. But then the flip side is it's kind of daunting, right? Like in terms of, if, if an investor's job to some extent is to think carefully about where things are headed, the massive amount of unknown emergent qualities here on the table now is like almost overwhelming. Yeah, there's a real danger. And I fell into this bear trap myself a couple of years ago. If you try and be too futuristic with your investing, you could find yourself investing on the far left of the Gartner hype cycle. So what do I mean by that? Um, like any new technology, we build up to this kind of peak of overinflated expectations where we think like the next hot thing is almost here. Everyone gets super excited. Valuations go crazy and everyone's kind of piling in their investment dollars into this area. And then suddenly like reality bites and everyone realizes, wow, this stuff is actually quite hard and we haven't dealt with the regulatory issues or you know whatever the other complexity and the mess of the real world is. And that's when valuations plummet. And it's only very slowly after that that kind of real-world utility is realized. And that's really the time to invest. So I think the danger of being like a super futurist as an investor is if you get in before we've kind of gone over that, that hump of overinflated expectations into the kind of trough of disillusionment where you could be buying in at a kind of crazy valuation that could take like a decade plus to realize and I did that with 3D printing. So it's really interesting to see that in the big ideas deck. Um, you know, maybe that stuff now is becoming investable. But certainly I got burnt by into a whole bunch of different companies way too early in that sector. That's a nice segue, Luke, to what I want to talk about a little bit. In the same vein, this idea that to be a good investor requires two things. You have to be right. In other words, you can invest in something that fails, obviously, right? But, I mean, that is still a key component. Many times we do invest in things that don't work. But So assume you're right. But then it turns out that's not enough for an investment to be successful. Because if everybody else is thinking the same exact way, you're going to be paying the higher valuations, right? And it's the mob mentality. So you actually have to be right and have to be contrarian, which is, way, way more tricky and harder than we think, right? Because, I mean, by definition, if you're a contrarian, you're basically saying something that everybody else is contradicting. 
which is one, hard to do psychologically. I don't want to undersell this. Maybe that's the hardest thing, right? To think you're correct and everybody else is wrong. Like it takes a kind of either egoic arrogance or maybe just sheer other conviction, which is only born from depth of research and understanding. It's not clear to me whether being early, say, in an investment is the same thing as being contrarian. If I, for example, were to invest in some blockchain technology today, am I being early or am I being contrarian? And how do we know? I don't want to make listeners think that this is the only way to invest because you absolutely can invest in great quality companies. Everybody knows our fantastic businesses, the Alphabets and the Amazons and companies like that, and you're going to do just fine. Um, but if I think what you're talking about here is you know, this very particular branch of investing where you're trying to find those hidden ideas, kind of venture investing, but that is difficult. And this is why we diversify, because you might make 10 bets like that. And if you're lucky, maybe one of those kind of comes off and pays back all the rest. But, uh, but that stuff is hard. And you're kind of like the salmon swimming uphill. uphill? What do they do? They swim upstream. <laughs> it's like pushing the card of frozen salmon up the hill. It's, uh, you know, it's difficult and arduous. And when everyone else is telling you you're dumb because you're investing in a particular area, that's hard to retain the courage of your convictions, perhaps. And you know, I just thought of a perfect test case for this topic that we've been mulling over recently, Tesla. Just tracking the price action for a second, I believe it fell down to about $108 a share or so on all kinds of bad news or data points that were interpreted as bad. Recession plus Twitter worries and all this stuff. I don't want to necessarily go over all of it. From an over a trillion dollar market cap to something like 300 million. So massive, massive loss of valuation. And then lo and behold, right, th that's that moment, right? This is what I'm talking about. That moment where panic, everybody's selling, and it's an innovative company that you're talking about. The question to some extent is, are we too early in some sense? Like all the promise of Tesla's new and future gadgets, is it still a ways off? And it will be a mistake to invest now because of recessionary headwinds and so on. Or is this a case of being contrary, where this is the exact thing you're looking for? A bona fide, proven company with positive cash flow and all of that, that for reasons out of its control created a bad, bad feeling. And now if you can be the person that says, I know this company well enough to be contrarian, this is the time to act. And lo and behold, it basically doubled in a month. If you think about how insane that is, Luke, a 300 something to $400 billion market cap doubling in about a month. Yeah, when nothing kind of fundamentally changed, it was more how the market felt about it. I mean, it's probably the most talked about company, right, on the internet, I suppose, um, on you know platforms like Wall Street Bets and also with serious investors, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest companies in the world. So it's not like some tiny little micro cap that flitters around on the slightest rumor. For some reason, well, I guess Musk is the main reason, um, you know, that company trades like it's a micro cap almost. Yeah. And so I guess maybe to wrap this segment up for anyone thinking of investing in innovative companies, I guess all we're saying 
that this isn't a binary either. Nothing's ever neatly in one category or another, but you have to be very aware of, like you were saying, getting too eager beaver about it when and, and maybe name it as speculation or, or potentially even gambling, right? Like we don't know, it's super early. So a little goes a long way versus you know what you know, right? You did your work. You read the seven investing research reports. You followed up with conference calls and, and research. And maybe like we talked about last uh, episode, you even love the product. You know the product. Out of that is born that kind of conviction to be contrarian. And that is where the real money lies if you have the spine to pull it off. Here's another example then. Um, and are we being contrarian or not? So another mega cap google alphabet right so their their valuation hasn't collapsed but it's it's down materially let's say just over the last six months um you know market cap is down to 1.2 trillion dollars from um uh what well, 1.6 trillion dollars they've kind of shed like 25 percent or so of their valuation in a few months and particularly right now the new cycle is pretty bearish on alphabet you know it's almost a kind of daft example, but like the news cycle right today is um, uh, Google's kind of botched marketing attempt bringing their own AI chatbot to market, something called Bard. They've been beaten to the punch by Microsoft or suddenly Google, who are supposed to be the AI leaders, now appear to be on the back foot. And maybe they rushed their own equivalent technology, Bard, to market. And they've had a fairly uh, infamous example just a few days ago where one of their very first adverts for Bard was giving out incorrect information. That's just kind of the nature of large language models, right? They're statistical, and if there's bad information on the internet, well, these tools and technologies are going to regurgitate that bad information. So, I mean, definitely a screw-up from Alphabet because they should have kind of fact-checked their advert before they put it out. Now the egg's on their face. But is it contrarian to be an Alphabet investor right now? stocks down, everybody's kind of gloom and doom about their future. This is still fundamentally a fantastic company with a great culture and some of the smartest engineers on the planet. Yeah, great question. Is uh, investing in Google now a contrarian act? And in some ways, I would call it maybe a micro version of that. I mean, there's always bears and bulls and all that, right? I'm not sure like if people are really dumping on Google, it seems more like a kind of reactive short-term thing to fully label it contrarian, but for whatever it's worth, uh, and I'll try to keep this abstract for, for disclosure reasons, one of my good friends works in the AI ML industry, so he knows it intimately and has recently doubled down on Google because his claim is because he has the insider's conviction and understanding of AI and he knows firsthand, according to him, that their AI is the real AI, so to speak. Now I'm putting words in his mouth, right? But that's loosely, right? And therefore, whatever these distractions may be, commercial advertising eggs in the face, the real thing is still the real thing. They're the dominant leader in this position. So doubling down would be an act of, I guess, yeah, opportunistic contrarianism born from understanding. Well, let's hope so. I'm not doubling down. It's a pretty big exposure in my own portfolio right now, but 
holding firm, that's for sure. I want to mention something else I kind of heard in the, this uh, big picture thinking of investing. I believe I got this from the All In guys. They ran an analysis uh, about the most successful companies that became the behemoths. And there became an obvious pattern that there were three ingredients that turned out to be required as fertile soil for like a Google slash Amazon to emerge. And the, uh, the first one is they tend to occur during times of economic austerity, which makes sense, actually, if you think about it, yeah. right? Because the, the winners have to be the strongest to survive. All the competition gets killed and the winners get just it's easier for the for a strong winner to feast on the minnows when there's little uh, sustenance around you right so that's kind of encouraging if we are in fact entering some sort of period of austerity the second piece is that they have to already be operationally slash cash flow positive which makes sense. In order to survive austerity, you can't be relying on outside sources for capital, right? The haves versus the have-nots at this point. I think it's starting to become clear to talk about Tesla very briefly again. Why is it such a potential behemoth? Because it's operationally already in the positive. Compare with, say, the upstart EV companies, right? They're nowhere close. And then you add on top of that, basically taking us full circle, you need a, some sort of major technological paradigm shift to be happening. So I guess in the early aughts, it was the birth of the internet, right? And then in the tens, you, I guess you could say the cloud showed up. And now we're entering, I guess I would say from Ark's perspective, the age of AI and all of its stuff. So the company, so if you look at those three pieces as investors, you kind of have a nice framework to, to, from which to ask yourself, what might be the next Googles and Apples and Amazons? Certainly and the deck's stacked in your favor if, you've, if you're in that sort of enviable position, that's for sure. It's not to say you can't succeed if you're not free cash flow positive, but it's much more of an uphill battle. The implied thing is these companies that have these ingredients, their benefit can become way larger than the market gives them credit for. And that's where the thousands of percent gains happen, right? Where the S optionality curves continue to appear as though out of thin air, but they're not really. It's just, you can't foresee them in the moment. But when you have these ingredients in the bag and the cash there to take advantage of whatever's around the next corner, you have the makings of the next trillion dollar company. Whether every company can become a trillion dollar company is very questionable because you you know every company exists in its niche and at some point if you own maybe some more than 50 percent of the market if the market's like a 10 billion dollar market well you're never going to get beyond um you know five billion dollars worth of revenues but um but there's still significant upside for you know any, any company in this position and not to name names but say in the cyber security arena particularly i know you and i have both recommended two different companies in that sector for seven investing. I'm a big fan of both actually. Uh, and I, I now have a call option on your one um, because you've picked the kind of smaller upstart, whereas I've got the, the big incumbent. Oh, and by the way, you know, I know you wanted to pick my one, but I just beat you to the post. I got there first. Um, so, you know, they could both be fantastic investments, but 
it's just much easier for the dominant company, the one I picked, to succeed here. And, you know, maybe they end up by acquiring your company along the journey because they've got the deep pockets to be able to do that. Yeah, which makes sense. The risk and reward for the smaller guy is way, way larger than for the bigger guy. And that's always the case in investing, right? Yeah. In all honesty, I'd prefer to be in 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 the more stable position than the precarious one. But if luck goes or go goes the smaller guy's way, the returns will be much higher. You just have to know ahead of time, right, that these are the circumstances, the risk is very real. This is how things tend to play out and know what you're doing in terms of risk tolerance. And as an investor, as we've said before, like you don't need to pick the one winner. You know, you have the luxury of being able to invest in many companies in a sector. And then you've got exposure to both the giants and the little upstarts just in case they kind of come along and disrupt the space and become the leader of the future. You want to talk about uh, productivity a little bit? Uh, Yeah, sure. Because uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I have in my, I have in my hand, the uh, my daily potion from Magic Mind. And nice. So, uh, tell, tell, and, us uh, tell us about, tell us about it, Christoph. What is what is this stuff? Is this part of your extending is, your life to start with? It kind of feels like it actually does feel like magic to me. So the routine I have in my day is I get my coffee. I drink my coffee around nine to eleven. I kind of slow sip it. I get that little bit of caffeine. And then around noon or one, I down one of these guys. Tastes really good, honestly. Uh, and I guess this is uh, like a kind of magic potion of uh, a bunch of things that are good for you, including it has matcha, a nootropic called bacopa manieri, and, and lion's mane mushrooms, and a bunch of good stuff, right? I've I've never really felt as smart <laughs> in my life as when I drink one of these. Have you have you tried to so like I, double blind yourself with this though? You need to like yeah, you need to find some similar tasting thing that doesn't have these magical ingredients. Uh, I have um I have not done that. I see why you would suggest that, but I think I don't know, man. The the productivity that I feel like that that afternoon period right where I know I'm I've just taken this so lasts about for me, feels like four hours or so. I don't get that that midday lull because I wake up early, right? So I've already been working for a long time, that post-caffeine thing. And I just feel like, for me, it's a, it's subtle enough that I don't get the jitters. I don't feel like overwhelmed. I'm not bouncing off walls. I kind of mostly want to sit and read. And as I'm reading, I'm like thinking and connecting things and like, writing things and it just kind of feels good are you giving us the, the christoph seal of endorsement then magic mind your uh, daily boost i do i do uh I, i'm very curious for our listeners to give it a try it feels like the real thing to me uh tastes good doesn't you know feels completely made like it's made of all authentic ingredients yeah, you know, one thing, one ingredient I did notice though, which is quite topical right now, is it's got it's got cordyceps mushrooms in it. Is that right? That's what it says. Have you been watching the new TV show, The Last of Us? No, I heard I must. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, episode three, perhaps the best episode of TV I've ever seen in my life, with Nick Offerman. That's what I keep. That's what I keep hearing. Oh my god! And uh, uh, yeah, it's remarkable. okay. Like, I don't want to go. I don't want to be too big of a fan. I haven't. It's actually a TV show adaptation of a video game. I haven't played the video game yet, but I will at some point. But uh, anyway, wow. it's essentially 
it's a post-apocalyptic story uh, in a kind of Walking Dead universe. It's kind of essentially like zombies everywhere. Um, but these zombies have come from cordyceps mushrooms, and it's this, like, um, fungus uh-huh. basically taking over humans and taking over the brains and turning them into kind of, you know, robotic things that want to go and uh, eat other humans and cross-infect them. So hopefully your magic mind isn't going to turn you into some, like, ravening zombie. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we avoid that fate too, Luke. <laughs> I think my conversational prowess would would drop a few levels. Not that it's uh, anything to you know toot my horn about as is. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, this was. Uh, I hope this uh, advert for Magic Mind uh, read well because I'm a genuine fan of this stuff. So um, I can't wait for you to give it a try and and see how smart you get. Uh, so yeah. check them out, Magic Mind. Watch out, world. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are you ready to play the three conversations game? Do you need to drink your magic mind before we get into this? Uh, I'm still on my coffee, so so I'm good. I'm going to give you the pre-magic mind answers this morning. Okay. Uh, and I'm sure anyone knows what's going on now, but I'm going to pose three conversational topics to Christoph. He's going to kill one, and then I'm going to pick one of the other two, and he's going to give us a minute of wisdom on that topic. Um, I'm flexing mine a little bit on the hoof because I thought of a better one than one of my boring questions. So uh, my first question is, um, in a Last of Us slash Walking Dead post-apocalyptic wasteland, let's say anyone who is taking Magic Mind has turned into one of those zombies, um, how would you you plan to to live the longest? How would you manage your survival? Um, Question question two. Um, You might be familiar with the concept of universal basic income, which could be one way of keeping us all healthy and happy in a post-AI world where there's no real jobs for any of us to do. Is UBI heaven or hell if you're a recipient? That makes sense. Uh, and my third question, are you, f- you familiar with the game Dungeons & Dragons? Heard of it. Okay, so uh, in Dungeons & Dragons on your character sheet, you have six attributes being strength, dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, constitution, and charisma. You have a certain number of points you can assign to each of those. If you could modify your own character sheet, which of those attributes would you uh, would you shuffle points in between? Which one of those attributes? Make as many tweaks as you like. Or you can make as many tweaks as you like. Would you? Uh, yeah. So, like for between example, the six. Between the six, exactly. You might take like five points of strength and direct them to wisdom or something. Whatever you think is the right way to play it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. Let's uh, nix the dystopian survival plan. Now feeling the zombies this, sure. this morning. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you wrote down those six character attributes. Let's hear, hear from you on that one. And I will say, so there's two styles of Dungeons & Dragons player. Some people try and get, you know, a little bit of everything. And some people min-max. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they try and really mm-hmm. max out mm-hmm. a particular stat. So, uh, so based on, you know, you and your life that you're in, how are you going to manipulate your own statistics? There are two two answers, two possible answers to this, Luke. And I'll give you the correct one first, and then I'll give you the one I would actually do. <laughs> so the correct answer is you maximize wisdom. It's kind of like uh, it, it, that would be the same as you find a genie, right? And you get three wishes. One mm-hmm. of you, you ask for a million wishes. 
right. and then you're set, right? And that's what wisdom gives you. Like, because without, without wisdom, nothing else goes. And I guess as a, as a doctor of philosophy, it's in my title, right? Like lover of, of wisdom. That's what, what, what it is. So I have a soft spot for maybe full respect for this particular quality. Which is which is different from intelligence because you could you know intel uh, intelligence can corrupt, and you could be a smart, very smart, evil person that does all kinds of harm. But you can't if you have wisdom. So that's the correct answer. Well, there's another side of that as well, though. Before you go on to your X example, so I mean, you're a pretty wise person. So to max out wisdom, you probably only need to add a few points. Let's say, what are you going to take those points off of, though? Uh, I would take them off of. Hmm. I guess that's hard. Probably strength. Mm, okay. All right. You feel like you got some strength there? You got some spare strength in there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I get to be so wise, I'll find alter- alternate ways. So my 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 actual answer, Luke, is that I, I will maximize charisma. <laughs> because... <laughs> You know, uh, Socrates, man, you know, he died and he was uh, drank hemlock, right? And there was uh, nobody liked him because he was a gadfly, you know. But but if I were even if I could even get to a tenth of your charisma level, (laughs) it seems like like the seas would part, right? The, The ladies would swoon. The, uh, I mean, it just seems like life would be so much fun if you were, <laughs> you know, this, this, this sparkly, um, magnet of energy and, um, and vivacity. Just imagine how our podcast listenership would explode if we both had max charisma. <laughs> Can you even imagine? Oh my God. <laughs> so you, you, so, you see, uh, if you've got charisma, you don't need wisdom, right? So you're going to steal from your wisdom. Oh Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, I'm just gonna charm my way through through life. <laughs> Be so much more fun that way, because you know, when you're wise, you know everything has you know a downside, and there's all these life is hard and blah blah blah. If you're only about charisma, man, ignorance is bliss for a little while. Good answers. Right on. Okay, dude. Is that a wrap? I think that could for be for episode eleven. That, that is we're fully into double digits now. We're nearly into the teens. If uh, so coming into episode 12 in a fortnight's time. So I think we're going to dig back into this big ideas paper. Um, so we'll pick out maybe two or three of those topics and just go a little deeper and maybe share our own perspective. So we'll tweet a link to the paper. And uh, if anyone's listening and you want us to go and dive into a particular topic first, we'll get your own views. Drop us a line. Let us know. Yep. And uh, we are 7 Luke Hallard on Twitters and I'm 7 Flying Platypus. Can't wait to hear from you. Great stuff, Christoph. Another good episode in the bag. Always fun chatting to you. If you got some value out of this as a listener, maybe share the episode with a friend. Peace. Peace out.